Welcome to the Match Cut Podcast, the movie podcast where we take two movies the exact same rating on IMDb and break that tie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello. Hi. Uh, before we begin, if you'd like to get a hold of us or suggest movies that we should take a look at, you can reach us at matchcutpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at matchcut. Uh, I have received one request, and that is for us to do Tenet. Yeah, the, that was just released on a lot of streaming services. I was actually, uh, as per last podcast, lucky enough to see it in um, theaters very briefly uh, when theaters were open in the hellscape that is 2020. I saw it in IMAX as well, just to flex on all you peasants. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the last IMAX movie, I, oh, it's probably The Dark Knight, but Speed Racer. Loved that movie in IMAX. You will you never are a forget speed racer it. Stan. You simping <laughs> yes. for speed. <laughs> yes, I am. In fact, simping uh, for them positive family dynamics. <laughs> yeah, and movies that are more about emotion than Fair. literal car races. It's the feeling of speed. I, I, I understand feel like that. I am speed I, I on speed. Am speed. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that there is a healthy balance and that maybe went too, too far in one direction. Um, so what if, uh, other than, I mean, I think we can both say we've been getting into cyberpunk 2077 recently. Yeah. That has consumed the, ma- that has been the majority of my media consumption has been cyberpunk. It has consumed, I can tell you an exact number, exactly 122 and a half hours of my life recently. Oh, frick. I launched the game. I wanted to check GOG to <laughs> look at my playtime, but now I'm going to play it instead. Yeah, Podcast over. We'll see you next time. <laughs> or you uh, can listen goodbye, to everyone. us live stream, uh, you know, a live commentary cast of cyberpunk dicking around inside missions. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have 55 hours in cyberpunk so far. I think I probably had the most of all my friends. It seems likely. I mean, like, I feel like I've been playing it a lot and you've done twice what I have. So, Um, I mean, what else is there to do in 2020? I'm being responsible and only literally going to work and here in the grocery store and always wearing a mask when I'm not home. So, yeah, we should all do the same. That is goddamn masks, folks (laughs) over the nose. (laughs) Yeah, that game is a buggy disaster, but I'm, I'm liking the story. I think it's it's Eurojank, and people forgot what Eurojank was like because The Witcher Three was released over seven years ago, mm-hmm. and, and has has like basically been fixed through yeah, patches. It's been unjanked. Mm-hmm. Um, any other kind of notable stories? Any readings or uh, audiobooks you've been listening to? Um, yeah, I've been listening to uh, a couple audiobooks, like the. Um, Definitely cyberpunk has inspired me to like cyberpunk 2077, I should say, has inspired me to, to look at other cyberpunk stories. Uh, I re-listened to a bit of uh, the classics, uh, Altered Carbon, Neuromancer, Snow Crash. I well, dove I'm gonna, into I'm, the- I'm going to stop you right there. Altered Carbon doesn't get put in with the classics. <laughs> it is I cyberpunk. Think- I'm not disagreeing there. It's just not a- classic and not enough time has passed in my opinion it's not format formidable it's not an a foundational experience to the genre yeah i think the i think the show catapulted it up in a lot of Mm -hmm. people's like lists 
Um, but I also have been uh, listening to Shadowrun Never Deal with a Dragon. That's kind of been the, the thing I've I've stuck with after what listening to the intro. What dragon are Which one? There's like seven? I'm not sure yet. I haven't gotten to the dragon yet. Oh. You might have actually uh, already met the dragon and not realized it because they appear in human is, form. That is true. That is true. Uh, I know one of them, literally a dragon says, never deal with a dragon. And he was the one that, <laughs> I think he's the German one. Hmm. I mean, you probably know a lot more about the cyber. I'm sure you know a lot more about the Shadowrun lore than I do. Uh, not super in depth. I mean, being that I did play it for four years, um, I, I always felt like a bad player of it because I viewed it more as a cyberpunk game with like you know, oh, and there just happened to be elves and whatnot. But my my mind theater of it was never mm-hmm. heavy into the magic and whatnot. I usually played Street Sam solo-esque characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that'll definitely be my... Uh, a Street Samurai will definitely be my next character in Cyberpunk 2077. I mean, it, it is fun to play. And as as <laughs> a guy who's starting a second playthrough for reasons, um, I think it's going to end up as a Street Samurai again as well. <laughs> it but just maybe, happens. It's like a stealth archer in Skyrim. It just happens. That's definitely something to keep talking about Cyberpunk 2077 that I, I like is you will find your own play style and mm. you feel that it is the only play style for you and it just calls to you for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but it's it's fun to like go back to those old cyberpunk stories and like look at how much cyberpunk 2077 borrows from some of those like pillars of, of cyberpunk, especially like the concept of dolls. Um, I think that's in one of the Gibson. I think it's in from the sprawl trilogy. I think dolls are a thing in Gibson's world. Yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised. Gibson, I would say did the most of the heavy lifting with neuromancer. They mm-hmm. just kind of catapulted the genre into a thing. And it's interesting when I see discussions online talking about Neil Stevenson's snow crash when, and people saying it's cyberpunk, but, and it's to a degree it is, but it's almost already post cyberpunk. It's like yeah. turning the crazy up to 12 on a lot of the, the concepts and the world building and the way it, way it handles things. Um, and his next book uh, a, a young lady's primer or uh, what is it? What is the other name of that book? It's diamond something or whatever. I think I know, I know what you're talking about, but not enough to remember it offhand. I started it and I never, I never got too far into it. And then I sold it because I'm a callow sham of a human being. <laughs> From 90, 1995, the Diamond Age, or a young lady's illustrated primer. Um, okay, so not a, not his latest book. No, uh, was I? Did you interpret that as latest book? It was literally the next book I, that he wrote after Snow Crash. I might have confused next and new. I don't know. Uh, happens to the best of us. But speaking of pillars of the genre, oh, <laughs> oh. This episode's matchup is about epic sci-fi, destinies foretold in dreams, and space, the final frontier. So insert your special respirator, befriend an indigenous people, and stunt cast a famous musician. It's time for Dune versus Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Ah. Ah. 
So what was your experience with these movies prior to watching them for the podcast? I originally caught the back half of the movie Dune on Sci-Fi Channel mm. years and years ago. And I think it was in the lead up to the miniseries that they helped co-produce. Yeah. It directly led to Battlestar Galactica happening, actually. So you can thank, <laughs> you can thank the Dune, the movie, and then the Frank Herbert's Dune the miniseries, which covers the, the first book and then the next two books for launching Battlestar Galactica and then ruining Thanks, Dune. <laughs> and no thanks, Dune. <laughs> uh, City of a Thousand Planets, or Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, is... Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that on DVR way after it had come out. And yeah, that's kind of <laughs> also that's... tying it back into cyberpunk 2077. You were probably going to mention it earlier, but I'm stealing your thunder. Um, <laughs> the voice actor for male V is in city of a thousand planets. <laughs> yes, that's right. He plays a, a smaller part in a uh, Valerian than cyberpunk 2077. But uh, I I had watched Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets once. Uh, it was recommended by an online friend of mine. Is like, yo, you got to watch this. It's great. Mm. We'll get into whether or not I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Dune, I had, you know, heard the references from. The sleeper you know, has awakened. He is yeah. the Chris Hot Saderak. You gotta walk without rhythm so you don't disturb the worm or don't attract the worm from uh, that one Fatboy Slim song. <laughs> the spice must flow. Yeah. Fear is the mind killer. All that good stuff from Dune. But I had never seen it, so this was my first time watching it. And if only it could have been immediately preceded by seeing the remake. But alas, here we are, 2020. Thanks, 2020. Ruining a chance to see interesting looking films for the whole year, the whole year you've, you've ruined every chance for anything enjoyable to happen. <laughs> Tiger yeah. King was years ago now, <laughs> except tenant, which we'll watch. But uh, besides being linked by their IMDb scores, these movies are also separated by one degree of separation because Ethan Hawke was in the 2000 version of Hamlet with Kyle McLaughlin. Boom. Roasted. Um, However, because we've got directors who love to cameo in their own movies, we've also got a connection of three degrees, as David Lynch was in Inland Empire with Laura Herring, who was in The Punisher with John Travolta, who was in that gem from Paris with Love with Luc Besson. I I would say that From Paris with Love is an underappreciated, fun buddy flick, buddy action flick. Nice. I've never seen it. Maybe we'll watch it. Um, both are rated an acceptable 6.5 on IMDb, but one of them must be better than the other. Let's find out right after this quick break. So Matt, what is our first movie? Dune is a 1984 film written and directed by David Lynch. Uh, based on the novel by Frank Herbert and style Kyle McLaughlin, uh, starring Kyle McLaughlin, a whole bunch of other people, including Brad Dorff, Linda Hunt. Uh, a real, a real who's who. Patrick of- Stewart, Sting, Dean Stockwell, Max von Sydow, Sean Young, uh, 
basically, if you're a fan of film of that era, you will recognize like everyone in the cast. Yeah, most of this movie was spent me was spent by me going to IMDb and just like I know this person from somewhere. A lot of working actors that just like they they stick in your mind. Um, yeah, David Lynch is best known for Eraserhead, Elephant Man, and Twin Peaks, to name a few. Uh, if you yeah. don't know who David Lynch is, probably don't start with Eraserhead. I would start with something a little more tame, like Lost Highway or uh, Twin Peaks for sure. Um, is Twin Peaks tame? It is at least coherent <laughs> and um, has levity. Uh, also, check out Mindhunter on Netflix. That's not David Lynch. Is it not? No, that's David Fincher. David, wrong, David. All right. Well, I mean, also check out Mindhunter on Netflix. <laughs> yes. Like glowing recommendation. David Lynch <laughs> and David Fincher are auteurs that need as much money to do their projects as possible. Um, check out something made by David. The story of Dune is somewhat succinctly summarized as the emperor of mankind has appointed House Atreides the new rulers of Arrakis, the only planet in the universe where spice grows, the substance that allows space travel. Unknown to Duke Atreides and his young son, Paul, the emperor and the traitorous Baron Harkonnen are conspiring to destroy House Atreides. Young Paul must now seize his destiny and become what he was born to be. Uh the hero of a thousand faces, <laughs> except except not. But Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets is a 2017 movie written and directed by Luc Besson, based on the comic book series by Pierre Christin and Jean Claude Mesurier, starring Dane DeHaan, Clara Delevingne, Clive Owen, Rihanna, and Ethan Hawke. Luc Besson is best known for his films The Fifth Element, Leon the Professional, Nikita, and In My Heart, The Transporter. In the twenty eighth story by, <laughs> he was there. He was involved. In the twenty eighth century, the universe is united in relative harmony. Major Valerian and Sergeant Laureline are part of a special unit charged with maintaining peace within the human territories. They are tasked with a special mission to secure the last specimen of a dying series, the Mule Converter. However, they are not the only interested party. Their mission will eventually lead them back to the megacity known as Alpha, home to millions of species and just as many conspiracies. As foretold by Major Valerian's dreams. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, were these movies what you pictured in your dreams? Valerian, when I watched it the first time, I thought it was all right. Um, mm -hmm. Watching it again... It really just, it falls flat in a lot of scenes. Uh, I can, I get what a lot of the, the criticisms are uh, in regards to the story. I personally did a little research and looked into like the source material, uh, that long running French comic um, of Laura Lee and uh, Valerian Lorelei. Mm -hmm. Laura Lee, whatever. Uh, eh. Potato, potato. It kind of reminded me a lot of the criticisms that John Carter uh, got when Disney put that out, where it was mm -hmm. like, oh, it's it's so tropey and it's so, you know, ham-fisted. We've seen it a million times. It's like, yes, but it was originator of a lot of these tropes. And it's what is best mentioned, you know, like John Carter of Mars is the er science fiction. It's hard to get any earlier that in <laughs> science fiction than that 
series of books. Yeah. And for space opera, especially from a French perspective, which Luc Besson is very French, um, <laughs> it's harder to get a more prolific story series than Valerian and Laura Lee stories. Yeah. I mean, and like very prolific. It ran from, I think, 67 to like 2010 or something. Yeah. It would be uh, similar to like people saying Buck Rogers is a ripoff of Star Wars. It's like, no, <laughs> Buck Rogers is what Star Wars was supposed to be. They couldn't get the rights to it. Yeah. Uh, I think both of these movies are trying to adapt a very long source material. Oh yeah. And that, yeah, Dune. I mean, there's been documentaries on the making of the movie Dune. Uh, the big one that came out and won a Palm d'Or at Khan was called Yodorovsky's Dune. Um, and that's where you get a lot of the strange visuals because the, the pre-production on that version was done with by Salvador Dali. And the soundtrack was supposed to be done by the Rolling Stones with Mick Jagger in a starring role. Yeah. We got Sting and Toto, which I mean, isn't a total loss, but it's different. It's it's a that just speaks to how long this movie was in production for. The rights for it were optioned off, um, not that long after the book was published, and it had been in development for about like a decade and a half. Um, at various points, so many different directors were attached to it. Um, it knew, it basically led to the bankruptcy of the De Laurentiis Productions, which is. A crying shame because so many classics came out of Dino De Laurentiis uh, and his yeah. production studio. Um, but before David Lynch was attached to direct Dune, it had Ridley Scott, and before that, uh, Yodorovsky. Um, it it's a miracle. Any and so many people have mentioned it's a miracle that Dune even came out as a film. <laughs> yeah, and so. It, you know, people have a lot of opinions on it because it's kind of derisive because, you know, oh, it, it, it cuts out so many characters. It cuts out plot lines. It cuts out stories. It was originally supposed to be like a four hour film and kind of thing. And, you know, it was had two previous directors and, <laughs> you know, three different scripts uh, because David Lynch rewrote the script again for his version from the Ridley Scott rewrite from the Yodorovsky original which yeah. was penned by Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert was involved along the way the whole time as well and wasn't disappointed in the film as there are many people that like to... Uh, what did the original creator think of their adaptation? Right. Yeah, and and what we ended up with, both of these movies are, are like a minute apart in run length. Dune oh, is really? 217, Valerian is 216. <laughs> and, you know, there's like the extended version of dune that's like uh three hours and but dune tells the whole story mm -hmm. at a at a certain pace but valerian i think chooses to kind of drop in in the middle and tell you like oh here's this one time that you know um valerian and lorelei got together and and grabbed a mule converter and I think it really suffers because of that. And I don't know if it was Luke Basson saying like, well, people will get it. And it's like, Luke, buddy, not everyone read the same comics you did. And instead you kind of get this like a majestic, fantastic looking CGI spectacular, mm -hmm. but with a plot that is just lacking. 
And I think the biggest, the biggest problem for me was like, we're supposed to be so invested in uh, Valerian and Lorelai's relationship. Like that's supposed to be kind of the B plot, the center of all this, you know, for the characters, because they don't really care about the mule converter, but it just falls so flat because I like, I don't get, it never sinks in for me at least like how these characters change over the movie and how their relationship develops it's just kind of like ah, oh, they don't like each other at the beginning they like each other at the end i think that's part of the problem of the source material is it's very much the very pulpy and the whole the whole storylines of all the books and all the the adventures that get in from what i've gathered have always been a will they won't they relationship between those two where it's always he's kind of chasing after her and she's always uh, just out of reach of his grasp kind of thing. And mm-hmm. they're very aloof with each other and they're very, um, they're very serialized in their stories. I think it's very hard to do kind of in a sense, a tentpole film because to my knowledge, Valerian is the most expensive independent film made. It was mostly funded by Luc Besson and other independent uh, financiers, not a big mm-hmm. studio. And so I think that also hurts it, not because, oh, independent movies, you know, they shouldn't reach for the stars because it's such a passion project for Besson. Yeah. That I think he, he was too close to it and it was too personal to him and he couldn't see the faults in adapting the story he chose to adapt. Right. IMDb estimates the budget at 177 million, which is enormous. Yeah. And yeah. And unlike other directors do that kind of passion project, but it's like, here's like a $4 million movie I made on the side. That was what I wanted to see. And, you know, all right, back to the, to the blockbusters. And he, he wants it to be both. And it, didn't work out here, I think. To a degree, I think Luc Besson did a better version and a in a more faithful spiritual version of this film in The Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot more light. It's a lot more peppy. It's a lot more quick in its delivery of things that you get that kind of, you know, he's a, he's a manly man that can't show his, you know, weak side and she is an aloof supreme being in the mm-hmm. fifth element. And like knowing that he was such a fan of it, you can see that the fifth element really is his first attempt at making Valerian. <laughs> yeah, definitely took, took elements of that. I think that's fairly well known. I, I would have liked maybe to see in Valerian if, if they're going to have this, will they, won't they relationship, like don't like put a bow on it at the end, like continue it. Mm -hmm. Like you see this in a lot of other things. Like you can picture it Valerian, you know, running off to the next mission and, and Lorelai, Lorelai, that's uh, gossip or (laughs) Gilmore girls, uh, Laureline, um, you know, kind of gives a wry smile and runs after him. Like you've seen that in movies before, but typically that main character is a lot more of like a goof or an idiot and a lot more carefree where that's like not who Valerian is. I, to a degree, I think the direction Dane DeHaan was given was not perfect for his acting style. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying he's a terrible actor. I think maybe he was somewhat miscast because he seems way too detached. 
his aloofment is detachment and kind of even delivery. Whereas mm-hmm. I think uh, Cara Delevingne, Delevingne. I've I've been going with Delevingne. Uh, Delevingne. Uh, anyway, Cara. Uh, I'm going to call her yeah. Cara for this. I think she and her style is more suited for the Laureline, uh character, where she has that kind of that playful flirtatiousness that can turn in a in the, in the middle of a sentence from a flirtatious look to a uh a biting uh witticism and and criticism of like i think she is well cast as Laureline. yeah and i think dane dehan was not given the best direction for his his acting style yeah and I, and I, the on-screen chemistry, I think, suffers for it. And it's just kind of like a by-the-numbers sci-fi plot. I mean, like, the conspiracy is kind of interesting, but... It just... It, because you don't have that charismatic leading man chasing after the... And and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little psychoanalytical here. Luc Besson has a type. A very... A <laughs> woman who is... Just out of your reach is Luc Besson's type. That's literally why Asundere. he wrote. Yeah, Asundare. Yeah, that's <laughs> literally why he lo- wrote Leon the Professional. Uh, implications in like heavy in that <laughs> Luc Besson would be problematic if he weren't so damn French. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, hey, speaking of pedophilia. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, one of the things they changed about um, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen's uh, character in Dune is he's less of a pedophile. Oh, and interesting. more of just a jerk. I ha- have you read this the book Dune or listened? To I, I have not. I'm going. To, I'm going to now. Now that I have like an outline, because like one of the things jumping in for me with Dune is like they definitely build a whole ass world or, or four worlds or however you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, but they have a lot of like, they have a lot of that like in world mythology that I love, but mm-hmm. just reading the audio or listening to the audio book, um, it was hard for me to like keep track of all the names and terms and everything that they were throwing around. Yeah. So I think after watching this and being able to put, you know, like Kyle Malachlan's handsome face onto a uh, Paul Atreides. I think the audiobook will come a lot easier for me now. And I definitely want to read it. Um, Cause the movie has to take a very thick book. I used to have it on my shelf somewhere. Like you could hurt someone with that book. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the things that so many people after that movie was made and were disappointed with it with Dune. They were like, well, you know, it's such a long book. Like, there's no way to really adapt it. And I think people mm-hmm. were pleasantly were, were pleased with the the miniseries adaptation because they, you know, they did the full Dune book and it like gave room for the characters that were omitted or you know massively truncated in the original story. And then um, they covered Children of Dune and Messiah of Dune, the two sequels. Um, there's mm-hmm. like 17 books or something. And every time another one comes out, uh, Frank Herbert's son is like, these were, uh, very complete notes that my dad totally wrote that I found in a, <laughs> in a, in a, uh, a journal of his that just slipped out and that I forgot. Um, 
not totally riding on the coattails of his dad's ideas and success. I think what I'm looking forward to in the new adaptation, which, you know, is wishful thinking is that in a way, Dune is kind of like the first young adult book for a lot of people, for a, a generation for the mm-hmm. for, for Gen Xers, because Paul Atreides is not 20 some odd, you know, Kyle McLaughlin. He was, he's like 16 at the start of the story. Yeah. And so with uh, the wonderful Timothy Chalamet, he's so hot right now, um, <laughs> being cast as Paul Atreides, I think you get that aspect back that as what as much as it is a sci-fi epic it is a young adult coming to terms with his place in the universe yeah um and yeah you see that entire journey and that you know they obviously chosen this one to adapt the entire work into a film but definitely like about an hour into it you're kind of like are are they setting up a sequel here like what's going on like when they first when um paul atreides and his mother escape and like crash land in that plane like the way they kind of recap everything up to that point and what they have to do from then on i'm just like this is like a stopping point like you could finish here end the movie go on to the next one Mm -hmm. and then again when when paul atreides like finishes assembling his army out of the um iraqians Eric Keens, I think is the name for him. No, it's Fremen. Fremen. That's right. 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 Um, of course. Um, that's like another stopping point where it's like, okay, there's the second movie and we'll see the, you know, the third Lord of the Rings style, you know, in a couple of years. Well, again, I think that that owes back to the, pre- the pre-production of it, where it was, you know, two other directors and writers had put their spin on it and adapting it. And it was originally going to be like a four hour epic. And David mm-hmm. Lynch, you know, had to come in and adapt from the Ridley Scott, Frank Herbert script while trying to maintain as much as possible. Uh, the miracle is when he went to shoot in Mexico, he put the movie on time and on budget. This movie had already blown like ha- like a th- a- an insane number, especially for the time in pre-production. And the fact that right. he put it down with the money he was given is a Herculean effort. And it was only his <laughs> third film. Yeah. And I honestly think like, weird pacing aside because like once they get on the the planet or like once you know atreides and his yeah like the movie just steps on the gas and it's just like and this happened and this happened and uh uh oh yeah um by the way there's been a whole rebellion where they've ground (laughs) the spice production to a stop (laughs) yeah uh fast forward two years um and then final battle and we're done by the way, Paul's married now, and uh, <laughs> he fell in yeah, love with this character that you barely have met. You saw them kissing overlaid on everything else. You, you get it. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, his uh, his uh, younger sister, she's she's like a young toddler now, but she's wise beyond her years. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> I matured very fast. <laughs> she's got that that the big disease. or, or uh, No. What was the big simple jack that's the uh that's the fake movie from tropic thunder what was the one with uh robin williams where jack. he goes four times just, just jack. jack okay yeah. yeah he's got the jack disease or she's got the jack disease she just uh, matures very quickly had nothing to do with the life water she was given in the movie. yeah 
Yeah, weird. I didn't need to see that that fetus personally, but David Lynch and uncomfortable imagery. Name a more iconic duo. Yeah, dust spewing bug mouths and ugh. like to the movie's detriment. I, I definitely think that so much baggage is its problem because you got to remember, like Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back came out the same year. Is nineteen eighty four very close to, and so that was already doing sci fi epics, you know, multi multi picture epics. Which, again, when this was conceived, that was not a thing that they did really. Like you didn't have multi picture stories continuing, you know, actors locked in and all that. You know, very much now that is the norm. You have the Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe, the dumpster fire that is the DC Cinematic Universe. Ooh. You know, uh, serialized shows that tell tight six seasons in a movie stories. Yeah. Um, well, you hope that they're they're tight. Some of them. Sure. sure. <laughs> um, Empire Strikes Back was 1980, and Return of the Jedi was 83. Okay, so pre they, they had just wrapped up Star Wars, and the next mm-hmm. year you get Dune, and this is it. This is the next big trilogy, and by trilogy, I mean one movie. And how much of that it has to do with the the De Laurentiis company going, you know, going bankrupt is probably unknown because mm-hmm. I believe the original idea when they tapped David Lynch to do this was a two picture. It was originally going to be two picture, but financial troubles had to cut it down right. to one picture. So the beginning of this movie is real rough to a degree. Like the first 10 minutes, you're just getting vomited a whole bunch of exposition. <laughs> Literally a talking a head is talking at you in the camera. Yeah, yeah. And then you kind of get into the story proper and then it kind of does that again. Like you can see like, oh, these are where it was supposed to be expanded. And I believe it does expand on those in the extended cuts. You get a lot, a little bit more on um, Caliban. You get a little bit more with um, the Emperor of Mankind, um, Mm -hmm. which uh, honestly flex that title. (laughs) Yeah. Um, is that is that the 40k title as well? The Emperor of Man, God Emperor of Man, God Emperor of Man. Of course, of course, sits upon the golden me. throne. I mean, they both have golden thrones. So, like I was telling you when I, I briefly stopped in on your watch, uh, I always headcanoned it as like this is just the 10th century of <laughs> Warhammer, 10th millennium. But yeah, so, uh, sorry, yeah, 10th millennium. Yeah. So uh, in 20 uh, in 20 millennia, you're gonna get a, a the sick Horus Heresy. <laughs> I mean. Paul Muad'Dib is as a god, basically, by the end of this movie. He well, could become a god emperor. Uh, spoilers for the next two. He kind of does. Um, uh, I figured. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the founders of Games Workshops have read all the Frank Herbert Dune books. <laughs> and then when they were making their their grim dark version of Tolkien fantasy, and then they were taking it into the future, they're just like, let's copy a lot of Dune things. Yeah. Because the parallels are there. Like nothing that the that Games Workshop does is original, and that's why they've gone around and changed some names that were long-standing names. No, no, no. It's not the, the Imperial Guard, it's the Astra Militarum. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh just a Latin to English dictionary. They're not they're not elves, they're a elves, but it's said the same. They're <laughs> elves. And yeah. they're not dwarfs, they're dwarfs. Uh, it all comes from the same plot, uh, adapting something else's work. Uh, yeah. So do you think, 
to, to kind of, you know, not end the discussion prematurely to agree. Actually, no, before I, I get on that subject, I, music, I also have one more point. Uh, music in these two movies, I think Dune is helped by, while it's odd that they chose Toto, those yeah. guitars and the, the choir and all that, it lends it a sense of epicness and scale. You know, the scene mm-hmm. where they're riding the sandworms into the, the the Baron's palace at the very end, you're like, yeah, smash them <laughs> gates. Bring yeah. <laughs> bring the water and the rains to Arrakis. And you, like, you feel a sense of epicness. Valerian doesn't really have it. It has too much of a score of the of the of the era of filmmaking where it's like, yeah, it hits the beats, but it doesn't stand out on its own. Yeah. Like there are a lot of scenes where the cinematography and maybe the fight choreography is a little lacking, but the music makes up for the feeling of epicness when in Dune, the the House of Trades falls on Arrakis, like that music brings the scale there whereas the miniatures and the the model work maybe is a little lacking especially compared to what ilm was putting out a year ago yeah in terms of original creation Mm -hmm. and i i think one thing that also stands up for me and, and i think helps dune um is like the source material for these both like are the late 60s um like Dune was published in 65 Valerian and Laureline was first published in 67 and Dune keeps a lot more of that. Like, and I think also because it's set in the year 10,000 and, mm. you know, uh, Valerian set in the year 2700 ish. Um, Dune has this, like, it's that bizarre, like old science fiction version of like, God, I have no idea what space travel is going to be like, but what if it was this mm-hmm. where yeah. Valerian has a much more like this is space travel as we know it. And here's where it'll be in, in, you know, a short period of time. And, you know, despite all the CGI that goes on in Valerian, like, I just, I kind of like Dune's version better <laughs> yeah the the visualization and conceptualization i mean original conceptualization was done by salvador dolly that's like mm-hmm. alien with hr geiger you know you get these <laughs> very very um not perverse but um very unique viewpoints from the people that were around at the time and i definitely think that there's a loss in translation because to a degree valerian and laura lee the the comics, I mean, that has that visualization, but to me, it feels like, you know, how formative it is and how in, important it is to French comic culture. It's a, it's their Buck Rogers. Yeah. And so I'm curious how the French reception to this is because of how conventional and Western it feels. Mm-hmm. I think that's a problem of today's movie making that you didn't necessarily have as much is movies were made for maybe a singular market back in the day. You know, money may have been Italian or European or whatnot, but the movie, like, you know, used to be able to go to Italy and make five movies in, in a long summer (laughs) and the West would maybe never see those movies. Yeah. But it would give you, you know, some credibility time in Hollywood esque. Yeah. Very old time in Hollywood. Uh, You would Mm -hmm. just do a blitz of making four Italian films of seven different genres. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, whereas now, you know, everyone knows the goings on of how Luke Besson got his funding and all that. Like, it's not until the documentary Yodorovsky's Dune comes out that we see a lot of the crazy stuff that we never knew went into the making or the, the pre-production of these movies. Yeah. And I kind of miss that. It's like kind of going back to the, the opening discussion, cyberpunk 2077. I think a lot of these people that are severely disappointed were following every little tweet, every article, every trailer, every um, YouTube night city wire that was put out mm-hmm. and waiting on bated breath for something that they were building up to a level of uh, hype that could not be sustained or met. Yeah. Because I'm enjoying the game. I didn't pre-order. I waited for the game to come out, bought it, downloaded it, started playing it. And it's what I was expecting. Yeah. That's not to say that people that, you know, it's not everything they hope for don't deserve to be sad. And like that, you know, people that love the, the Dune book and are disappointed with David Lynch's version of it, like understandable. There is so much cut out characters that never appear again, that are very important to the plot line. Uh, yeah. I mentioned very briefly to you that the Duncan Idaho character played in this guy by Richard uh, in uh, the 84 version by Richard Jordan is being played by Jason Momoa in the uh, Denis Villeneuve remake. Yeah. And or readaptation, I guess would be a a more apt terminology. Yeah. Um, We need to, we need to highlight that. The new Dune (laughs) Um, is being played by Jason Momoa who, and his, it seems like his storyline will be closer to the original books than the Duncan Idaho in the 84 version, because he, he dies and he's never seen or heard from again. (laughs) Yeah. Like if you had a favorite character in Dune, like going into the movie, you could just find that character almost entirely cut out. Whereas if like, you had a favorite character maybe in Valerian in the city of a thousand planets, me not being familiar at all with the source material, but hearing, you know, that Valerian and Laureline are very close to their comic characters. Like you could at least go to the movie and see your favorite character as long as it was like the main character, <laughs> but well, you know, you could see your favorite character in the movie. Again, I think that's the source material is entirely different. You know, you're talking about a book. That's an Epic. That's a complete story to a degree in, in mm-hmm. a, a, a novel getting adapted into a two and a half hour movie cut down from a nearly three hour movie or an over three hour movie. Whereas mm-hmm. Valerian, it's a pulp serialized collection of graphic novels that tell these stories that maybe have some reoccurring side characters. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but the side characters don't matter. And so if, if the main characters can't carry it, what do you have spectacle? Well, we've seen spectacle like this. Yes. It is a technical Marvel that you did this independently, but that doesn't mean it's enjoyable. (laughs) Yeah. I will say, unfortunately, to, to sorry to cut you off. There. No worries. Uh, to kind of sum up the point, I think it was helpful to have David Lynch, who wasn't a hundred percent familiar with the source material, come in as the third director attached and bring it home because he could see maybe the problems with the previous scripts and the structure of them and what you actually need to make a coherent film. 
yeah. as much as people, you know, you can make whatever comments you want on the coherency of David Lynch's other works. <laughs> um, whereas Luc Besson, in my opinion, it was too close, loved the source material too much and had been trying to get it made for a fair amount of time that he couldn't see the flaws in what he was achieving. Yeah. He was, he was in too deep. He was, he was in, in the wormhole, in the worm mouth. So, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, do you have anything else to add on to, onto that point? No, I think like summing up, I think Dune should be rated a little higher and mm-hmm. Valerian maybe is at where it should be. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that Dune, that, People have a lot of opinions on it because of how important it is to a Western audience. And a lot of people read the book. It was massively popular mm-hmm. uh, on its publishing. And more people have read it now and maybe gone back and put their opinion on it that, like, you know, it's not good. It could have been better. <laughs> it should have been this, that, the other thing. You know, Yodorovsky should have been able to direct it or Ridley, uh, Ridley Scott should have been able to direct it, yada, yada, yeah. yada. But taking the sum of its parts and putting it into a complete package, I think David Lynch made an enjoyable film that I have watched multiple times, having never read the source material. And I just, I just kind of enjoy the, the, the funkiness and the weirdness of it a lot more than the, the version of funkiness that was put on in Valerian that is a little old hat anymore. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, and it, it also seems like these movies, like in other formats, got the treatment that they probably needed. Like Dune got a mini series, Valerian got an anime. Like oh, got an anime. This, yeah, um, called Time Jam, Valerian and Loreline. Hmm. Um, only one season, but it's it's told in that pulpy kind of like here's an episode that doesn't affect the main plot but you know they're going to chase down an artifact that's giving them hallucinations or whatever and uh presumably they don't fly around in a lexus so (laughs) yeah so um oh also point uh, of order about the dune readaptation this it's a two-parter the first movie that we're seeing is half the story. Like you were saying, there are cut points Mm -hmm. in this book and in this movie that you can make another movie out of it. And I think intelligently Denis Villeneuve and the funding behind him was like, you know, let's make it two. Let's give you the time (laughs) to make the story breathe and let these, let these characters have life on the screen. Yeah. So I think we'll both be eagerly awaiting that one. Everyone's eagerly awaiting the opening of theaters. Yeah. So that's that's an episode. Um, Is it? If, I mean, legally, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing I want to mention, if uh, people want to get a, a nice video essay that kind of talks about a lot of the points in Dune that I was mentioning, it's where I, lo- I got a lot of my information. Uh, the Film Joy YouTube channel, Movies with Mikey. He did a, uh, a video fairly recently by his uh, upload schedule on the Dune, and it kind of goes into a lot of the production side of it and the adaptation side of it. It's enjoyable. It's funny. It's well edited. Um, 
if you're you're interested in the creation of movies and like the backstory of how things get made, it's a nice 30 minute intro into it. If you want the 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 deep dive, watch the documentary Yodorovsky's Doom. Yeah. Film Joy is a great channel. Uh for stuff other than Dune, I, I think Matt and I both really enjoy it. I wish that you would continue to upload more, but you know, <laughs> guys got guys got his life to live. So understand. Look, if anyone understands an uneven upload schedule, it should be us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he at least is maintaining a, a, a an, an episode of whatever a month. So mm-hmm. we almost did. But speaking of, we'll be back before the end of the year. Uh, with our almost Christmas matchup, Die Hard versus Lethal Weapon, two movies. I've seen I've seen all of Die Hard. I haven't seen Lethal Weapon. Okay, well, I won't hold that against <laughs> you then. Yeah. So again, if you want to reach us, you can uh, yell at us via the internet, matchcutpod at gmail dot com or on Twitter at matchcut. So for the Matchcut Podcast, I have been Aaron, and I have been legally obligated to be Matt (laughs) and we'll see you next time alright everyone bye bye bye